This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer Chris Herring. Chris, how are you doing today, my man? What's good, man? I'm doing all right. What about you? I'm I'm wonderful. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon, Thursday morning, your time, I believe, uh, in the great city of Chicago. And tonight is Game 2 of the NBA Finals, which we will be previewing and reacting to everything that we saw in game one, of course. Uh, but first, I want to uh, congratulate all of our listeners on the amazing emails that we've been sent over the past few days um, to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Please keep sending all your thoughts and questions in, and we will try to get through as many as we can on the show. Chris and I and Rohan really appreciate all of them. Uh, speaking of, we have an email from Al, Uh, Chris, who writes, considering the history that is at stake here, I want to ask you and Chris the following. I think a lot of us can agree that this will probably be Chris Paul's only window to win the title, not to take anything away from the Suns' recent success, but we all know, and you guys have mentioned this on the show too, that they have not played a healthy team, i.e. Anthony Davis with the Lakers, Jamal Murray with the Nuggets, Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers. Considering how much the Bucks have spent to get Drew Holiday and sign Giannis for that max extension, who do you think has more to lose here if they do not end up winning the championship in regards to legacy and opportunity? 
Chris Paul or the Bucks organization? So this is a really good question. I, I turn it to you, Chris. You know, we're only one game into the finals. And like I said, we're recording this on the day of game two. But who do you think should just feel the most pressure right now to win this series? I think it's a pretty interesting question. No, it is. And I think the question, at least the way you phrased it, and I'd have to, you know, read, read it again to see whether the, whether Al phrased it this way too. I think it's a different answer and a different question if you're saying who has more pressure, Chris Paul or the Bucks, or if you're saying the Suns or the Bucks. I think the Bucks have more pressure than the Suns do. Um, I mean, we just saw them kind of getting waxed in their last, you know, in their conference semifinal series before, you know, Brooklyn was, was basically like, you know, a platoon, um, you know, looking shorthanded and completely shorthanded and Durant trying to do everything by himself. So depending on how you feel about that, depending on what sort of reinforcements Philly brings in, you know, if they trade Simmons or what have you, who knows what will happen with, with Boston or, if, you know, if someone meaningful like Dame will end up in the East, like all that stuff potentially changes the outlook for the Bucks. And the Bucks just went kind of all in on everything they have for Drew to kind of lock in Giannis and the Supermax. So I, you know, I think Giannis is young enough where the Bucks will have other opportunities, but if Brooklyn's healthy, it didn't really look like Milwaukee was necessarily in the same league as them. No. Um, <laughs> so the Suns, you know, I, I, this is one of those things where I think it depends on how you feel about Phoenix, but I, you know, I asked two rounds ago, I think, um, are we all kind of just missing the boat here? Like, sh- hasn't Phoenix played well enough this postseason to where they should maybe be favored no matter who they're playing, even Brooklyn. Um, you know, and I think Brooklyn was the one team you could argue maybe they should be favored if they play them head-to-head, but Brooklyn's not here anymore, and Phoenix has looked fantastic against everybody, I would say the Clippers included. Um, granted, they were shorthanded as well, but I've seen enough, quite frankly, to, to say that Phoenix, you know, they look pretty good for the future regardless. They won the first couple games of their last series without Chris Paul playing at all, Um they have something that looks like it works. Aiton looks like a completely different player. Granted, he's got a great point guard that he's you know running the pick and roll with, but he's looked really good on both ends of the floor. He looks really good in isolation situations. They should be here for a while, <clears throat> quite frankly. So I think that they, they may have other opportunities. I don't think that it's necessarily a fluke at all. I mean, they were the two seed. They played really well against top 10 teams all year. Um they were what one game, two games out of first place for you know for the best record in the league. So this wasn't a fluke right. to me. I think that they could very easily be back. I won't say easily without Chris Paul, you know, or you know if Chris Paul ages poorly, which he already has aged well. I you know I could see how it's tougher for them, but I still think they could get back to this point. Um, I do think it's you know this might be the window for Chris Paul specifically, but I don't think that's true for the Suns. So it's a little bit more of a nuanced answer than just Bucks or Suns. But I would say. There's probably a little bit more pressure on the Bucks, in my opinion. What do you think? That's what we go to you for, Chris, the nuanced answers. Love it. Um, <laughs> you know, you use the word fluke. Yeah, no one should be calling Phoenix a fluke at all. I hope no one does that. There are a lot of injuries that they've, uh, you know, been a little bit fortuitous to, to face in all the ones that I mentioned. But getting to the finals is very, very difficult regardless. And they've had their own injuries. So... Shout out to Phoenix. I mean, I wrote a column about this sort of yesterday on SI.com. 
just about how strange this finals matchup is in terms of is this an aberration versus is this the NBA's new normal in a kind of like a post LeBron, mostly post super team, post dynasty NBA. That's from a great a lot, question, I, by the way. Y- Thank you. I can't really get into all the particulars. I just please go read it because it would that would take up the whole episode probably. But <laughs> just like from that perspective where the top of the NBA mountain, in my opinion, is increasingly slippery. It's just really difficult to – I don't care who's on your team. You just look at what happened with the Nets this season. Like it's just really difficult to win a title, let alone repeat, and harder than ever before because of the shorter contracts and free agency and – there's a million different reasons for it. So when I look at the pressure that these two teams face, like it's really interesting to me how you say that um, you know Phoenix has staying power. I think the question of Phoenix's staying power is just super fascinating because, yeah, Chris Paul is 36, 37 years old next season. Is he going to play this well? Is he going to be able to stay healthy? Devin Booker's obviously, I mean, not even in his prime. DeAndre Ayton is nowhere near his prime. You got Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, a lot of really young, talented players on that team. So, like, where do they go next year when maybe CP isn't as good as he's been? And then on the other side, you have the Bucks, and you make a really good point about the Nets kind of looming as the boogeyman, boogeyman in that conference. I, I like the Biggie you know, Man reference, though, like the Brooklyn Biggie Man. Yeah, Biggie. no, that, yeah, I that love was that. actually. Uh, <laughs> I <laughs> love that. Them that from no one. <laughs> With the Kooji sweater the and everything. Slip. Yes, exactly. Sweater. I love so it. The Biggie Man, it. Biggie Man Nets. Um, yeah, so like they are the juggernaut from the East, and it's going to be really difficult for any team, I think, to to beat them next season, assuming that they are healthy. Uh, so I think it's just it is a fascinating question. If I had to pick who I think is feeling a little bit more pressure or who has more to lose, like if the Suns lose this finals, just getting back to the finals in the West, given sure. CP's age, it's just going to be really tough. Like because in another in another universe where Anthony Davis was healthy in the first round, are we having this conversation today? Who knows? Um, and that's just the pitfalls of that conference and just how difficult it is to get where they are. So many things need to break your way. So I don't feel very confident in Phoenix in terms of this is kind of their shot. And if they were to blow it now, it would be particularly devastating, I feel. Um, But that kind of leads us into this other question that we got from another listener, Josh, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, Josh. Please correct me if That's I right. messed it up. I'm, I'm from the Midwest. I can vouch for that. <laughs> oh, you can vouch for lacrosse? Sweet. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so uh, Josh writes in, uh, I've emailed in the past about potential Bucks trades and wanted to discuss an opportunity the Bucks could have to land Damian Lillard in the offseason. As I watch the Bucks struggle this postseason to find consistency, I want to explore the idea of trading away some of the inconsistent pieces for an all-star that regularly is discounted and could use a change of scenery. Uh, Josh goes on to write in his email, um, he mentions a three-team deal with the principal players being Chris Middleton, Ben Simmons, and Dame Lillard. Uh, but the larger point here, which goes back to our previous conversation, is an interesting one, I think, in the sense that if the Bucks do lose this series, like, how do they shake up their team, if at all? So, essentially, like, 
is everyone on the trading block except Giannis, or do they swap out Bud, or do they just roll everything back and they're fine with the product that they have and the pieces that they have and everyone kind of fitting in place? Just like, where do you see the Bucks going from here, fast-forwarding to a scenario where they do not win the championship? Um, so I, I, I know what I just said about Brooklyn, so I'm going to sound like a, you know, a, uh, I'm going to sound like I'm taking back what I said because, look, I think Brooklyn clearly looked better than Milwaukee when they were closer to full strength. At the same time, man, it, it, it would be a huge move to really kind of take an axe to the, the three best players of this roster. Obviously, Giannis isn't going anywhere, but Middleton makes up for a lot of Giannis's flaws. Um, particularly as a wing player, which is a little bit different mm-hmm. than Lillard, where you know maybe there are things at times you can do to neutralize a smaller guard um, to try to take him out of his comfort zone. And quite frankly, too, um, you know we've watched some of the stuff with Lillard where teams basically try to force the ball out of his hands and then dare the rest of the other guys to score. Um, obviously, if you do that too much with Giannis, he'll dunk on somebody, but. Uh, you know, he's not a great shooter. So if you're leaving Giannis alone at the three-point line, I don't know. There there might be things that you could do to, still to try to neutralize them a little bit if you put, you know, a shooter with Giannis, but then everybody else is just kind of standing around the perimeter. I, I'm not sure. So, I look, everybody would love to see that happen, but Middleton makes up for a lot of Giannis's flaws. Middleton keeps the defense elite in a way that maybe Lillard does not. Um and quite frankly, you know, I, I get what the questioner, uh, what Josh is saying about the idea of inconsistency. Middleton has had a lot of games, and so has Drew Holiday, where, you know, they're 5 for 21 game, and then, you know, they come back and Middleton is lava the next game. So I get it, but they actually fit pretty well. I, I don't know if they fit together as well as, you know, obviously Brooklyn's guys do. But if you, I mean, if... <laughs> How are you realistically contemplating making a change? Like if the Bucks win a championship this year, can you really do that? I guess every now and then you get teams that win a title and then decide to overhaul a little bit internally. Um, I would venture to guess that Budenholzer is changed out before you change a roster where you've got a max guy that you've got to figure out where to send somewhere else that fits really well. I think I was reading somewhere the other day that Middleton and Giannis are the second longest tenured duo in the league after Clay and Steph. Um, oh, wow. Which, if that's the case and that's true, and, you know, Giannis literally last week was basically writing love letters through the media to, to Chris Middleton. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's we, we play fantasy sports a lot in our conversations, um, you know, with trade talk and stuff like that. I just don't think that move is happening. I don't think that move necessarily should happen unless you can find something that is such a clear upgrade. And quite frankly, you know, just parsing the trade more closely, which I think is an interesting idea. I don't know that Portland wants to rebuild with Ben Simmons as the, you know, as the new centerpiece of what they're doing, either on a max contract. So like, you know, I'm sure they'd get a lot of picks for moving Lillard, but I don't think it would be for that. So um for, for Simmons, you know, as a return in that trade. So I don't I don't see that sort of deal happening. it would be beautiful to watch Lillard play next to Giannis, but I don't think that Middleton being moved is the answer to, to doing that, and I don't think it would get it done anyway. 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Even if the Bucks do, even if they're swept in this series, honestly, that, that would be humongously disappointing. And I would imagine that, fair or not, Coach Bud would be on a particularly hot seat at that point. Just because, as you said, like, that's the easy, this is like, this is not new breaking news here, but when you need to make a change, like, the coach is the first one to go. And so I could see them making a move there before they, you know, explore, you know, Drew Holiday has been up and down this entire postseason. Yeah. As you mentioned, Chris Middleton's had some duds um, and he's on a max contract or a near max contract. And I just don't know what the trade value is for those guys. And certainly it would be very difficult to cobble together salary plus picks when you don't have any picks to really move because you sent them all out you to get Drew Holiday. Yeah. So what are you doing to get... Um, like I see where the hypothetical comes in with including Ben Simmons. Those trades are obviously really difficult to pull off in in reality. So I mean, if you're the Bucks, you just look like they have the best defense in the entire playoffs, which is remarkable, even with the injuries that they faced. Um, that's no nothing to kind of shrug off. The offense during the regular season, I mean, the offense during the playoffs has been pretty bad at times, but the offense during the regular season was like top five. I think it was equal to the Utah Jazz. So this is obviously a championship nu- nucleus. I think a team that can win the title, they're in the finals right now. I-, I think that you probably roll it back. You're a little bit more patient knowing that you have Giannis locked up, uh, knowing that you just signed Drew, who will be in season two, and he won't have covid next season at all um and all that so uh year two could be even better for this team with this nucleus i I would i would keep it everything together and not sweat too much i don't think if i was the bucks um but before we get into the meat of this episode chris which is uh gonna be a lot of finals talk of course because we're in the middle of the nba finals and this is the best time of the year uh I wanted to share another email from a listener named Vincent who took umbrage with a statement our dear friend Rohan said on the last episode. Uh, Vincent writes in, I don't have a question, but Rohan said, (laughs) (laughs) but Rohan said, nobody called a Bucks versus Suns finals. I just want you guys to know I called it right before the playoffs started with the Bucks winning in seven Vincent then provided us with a screenshot as proof. And I just have to say with all sincerity, uh, Vincent, please come take our jobs. You are obviously a lot smarter than we are. Shout out to you. <laughs> Shout out to that prediction. I I don't know how you made it. Um, I would love if money was on the line. If there was, please follow up and tell that story. Um, but we, I just wanted to shout out. Do you have any, any complimentary words to say to Vincent, Chris, and his wonderful prediction? That I'm happy to have him pick my lottery numbers anytime <laughs> soon. And, and if, if, if we land on something fortuitous, that I will throw him some money for it. <laughs> gladly. Wonderful. Gladly throw him some money for it. Yeah, so shout out to you, Vincent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I should also say that Vincent had the Knicks over the Hawks in the first round. I don't mean to blow up your spot, Vincent. So did I, Vincent. So we were just (laughs) stupid when when it came to that one. And I remember Michael in particular had the Hawks in five. And I was like, what is Michael smoking? And then it was more like, what was I smoking by picking the Knicks in seven? But yeah. When when you can brag like I can with that one pick, I just have to milk it <laughs> for as much as I can. So, yes, once again, shout out to the Hawks in that series. All right, Chris. So the finals. Uh, game one was Tuesday. Suns won 118-105. Uh, 
a uh, lot of stuff happened in that game. A lot of stuff that I think was predictable. A lot of stuff that was very unpredictable. Uh, you know, looking back, we won't spend too much time kind of looking into the rearview mirror just because we're at the, the dawn of this series and there's so much that needs to unfold that we need to analyze. But just what surprised you the most when you think about game one and sort of everything that unfolded during that contest? You know, this is going to be a basic answer, but I think it speaks to how much we just take this dude for granted. Um, Giannis looking the way he, I mean, Giannis playing, first of all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You and I talked last week, and I and I, I pushed back on you a little bit, but not much. Um, when you said you thought Giannis was just out for the rest of the postseason, and I was wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, looking back at the injury and watching replay of it, which I don't know why I chose to do that, other than this podcast. Um, I mean, it, it was very conceivable that he could have, and um, you know, at a minimum, I figured he would miss at least the first couple games of the series. Day of game one, he was listed as doubtful. A couple hours later, he was listed as questionable. A couple hours later, Woj just tweeting that he's going to play. So I never know what to make of stuff like that. But And I said this in my series prediction. Um, I'm still scarred by, you know, and that's probably a little dramatic to put it that way because, you know, no real scarring. But um, I still feel awful for Kevin Durant, you know, having rushed back to play in the finals two years ago. Um, so anytime I see someone playing on something that's like not completely healed and they're of that caliber, you don't want anyone to get hurt. Obviously, Dario Saric, you know, um, tore his ACL and it's awful. So it's not to say that you you play favorites with regards to who's going to get hurt and who doesn't, but particularly you don't want to see superstars get hurt. And in particular, you don't want to see players that already are at risk go out and play when they're not 100% healed. From something, And so anytime someone goes from doubtful to playing on the same day, just because of the stakes being that high, you worry. Um, Giannis came out and immediately looked good, really, really good. Um, and then he effing made a LeBron-style block um, later in the game that just, I mean, he wasn't even running full speed. Like, it, it just mind-boggling just to watch it. Just galloping up the court. S- Incredible. So that was what surprised. I mean, the guy had twenty and seventeen, and like he wasn't an afterthought. But I mean, compared to what he normally is, kind of was. And I, I think it's really easy to look at. You know, we talk about the Willis Reed stuff, and I, I, I get that that's different. I get that it was in the you know the the end of a series and Game Seven and everything, and mm-hmm. um, you know, but Willis Reed didn't play particularly well that night. And didn't even play much that night. Giannis, on the other hand, twenty and seventeen. Um, you know, and looked like himself, at least enough of himself for most of the game to to be impactful. So we, we didn't think he was going to play, and he did that. So that's what surprised me most about the, the first game. Yeah, so I have a question coming up about Giannis, so I'm going to save my greater points sure. on him for a second. Um, but real quick, I just want to say, like, Brooke Lopez taking... I, first of all, I, I agree with everything you said. It was totally stunning that he played in the game, let alone played 35 minutes. But Brooke Lopez taking three more shots um, in 13 fewer minutes than Giannis. That's yeah. just not what you want. That's not what yeah. you want if you're the Bucks. Um, yeah. So I think that they'll, they'll probably clean that up. Uh, I hope so. Get- It'd be nice. It'd be yeah. a nice start. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. 
the Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Yeah, so my biggest surprise, um, the thing that surprised me the most about Game 1, that kind of, I think it's a little bit more granular than yours, it's the all the switching that we saw out of the Bucks defense um, against Phoenix's pick and rolls. Like, I said in our last episode, uh, me and Rohan were talking about it, and I was, I was predicting a lot of drop coverage, um, a hmm. lot of them to go away from, obviously in games five and six of the conference finals, Brooke Lopez was switching out onto Trey in game six and then switching out onto Lou Williams in game five and every other ball handler in game five. And they had a lot of success doing that. It's obviously a defense that isn't known for its switchability, but they went to that style and that strategy and had a lot of success. And I did not expect that to carry over schematically for Mike Budenholzer in game one because, like, I just assumed that they were switching because Trey Young was injured and nobody else on the the Hawks could really go one-on-one with a lot of consistent success against whoever it may be. And then they came out and they basically switched every single ball screen um, in the first half. And yep. I was kind of stunned, especially, you know... I don't believe in switching up your coverage just because shots are falling. Like, you got to look at the difficulty of the shots and where they're coming in the clock and are they contested? How is the defender doing? Is it sustainable? But after a while, it was kind of like, okay, clearly, you know, flipping Brooke Lopez out on an island here against Chris Paul is just not a recipe for success. And when they did drop... uh, they had success. It was a lot better, um, um, and they were able to keep uh, Phoenix out of the paint a lot more, and they were able to not foul as much as they did. And you know, send Devin Booker got to the free throw line a lot because of those switches and him attacking um, bigs off the bounce and getting them off balance. So that was my big um, my big surprise, honestly, in Game One, and I would be a little like I just don't expect them to continue to do that. 
um, going forward. Be They're going to have to Portis, cut back. Be, they got to cut back. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would assume that that was either the first or second most switches that they've ever done since Bud in a game since Bud was their head coach. Honestly, I mean, it was. I I could see Portis playing a lot less at, at, at some point too. I mean, it just he he didn't look to fit that game particularly well. I mean, maybe it was because of you know the otherworldly number of switches that they made, but. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I think they're going to really have to consider. Or if you want to switch that much, can you play Lopez anywhere near that much in that game, you know, in this series? And if you're not going to, what does that mean for where you're getting production from? You know, if, assuming that if, if Lopez isn't going to work in those lineups, does, does Portis, if you're not playing either one of them, where are you getting that scoring from? Who are you getting that scoring from? Particularly when Drew and, and Chris Middleton or you know, as, as our friend put it earlier, Inconsistent, you know. I'm sure they'll bounce back. I'm sure that Holiday will mm-hmm. play better. But yeah, there's it. It was interesting. I think it was Dan Devine from The Ringer who um, had a column the other day off the game, and he was like, "All Milwaukee's got to do is," and it was you know 17 <laughs> things long. <laughs> it was like a perfect encapsulation of kind of all the things that need to go right, which makes me feel better about picking Phoenix. And you know, I pulled a a Michael, you know, with my pick. I um, <laughs> I picked them in five. I picked Phoenix in five, uh, assuming that Giannis would miss a couple games, and then said, mm-hmm. you know, even if Giannis plays, I'd pick Phoenix in six. So th- this game, it, not so much the outcome necessarily, but I think the number of things that Milwaukee really needs to tweak, but also if they tweak it, does it kind of pull away from something else that they need to rely on, you know, kind of un- unravel a thread that they need to kind of keep tight. So it's it, it, this wasn't the best look in game one for Milwaukee, but a lot of the stuff they could adjust could cause another problem too. It's kind of like a yeah, new piece d- or something. Right, exactly. And you don't want to make, I think a lot about, I don't know if it was Jeff Van Gundy who was the first person to say this, probably not, but he says it a lot, which is from game to game, like sometimes you don't, like the adjustment that you're supposed to make is just execute the strategy better. Right. And so I, I think about that a lot. Um, just generally as I watch playoff series develop. And in this case, I think that there's a lot of things that they could just clean up, frankly. Um, there were breakdowns quite a bit, be it, you know, Giannis not having the energy at the end of the first half to box out Tory Craig and you let Tory Craig get a put back. Like stuff like that is just like really small and just you can clean up your defensive possessions a little bit better. Um, but speaking of Giannis, as I, I, I tease a little bit, like, one of my questions to you, Chris, was just what did you think of Giannis's performance? And I'll just quickly say that it, I mean, first of all, it was amazing that he played 35 minutes. And I thought it was just weird that, and maybe I, I should have expected this, but for him to only take nine two pointers for an entire basketball game is just not right. It's kind of like I assume he was gassed. They were showing him on the broadcast, like, like hands on his knees, clearly wheezing. <laughs> um, he hadn't played basketball in quite a bit. There's right. the knee that is, I would assume, not 100% also, right. despite how good he looked physically. And when he had that chase down block, it like took my breath away. Um, but Giannis was also plus one. And I don't want to, I don't think we could put too much stock into single game plus minus. That's a little foolish, but it is. I'm going to later in the podcast with somebody else. But I I hear what you're saying. (laughs) But I hear what you're saying 100% and agree. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, 
like the fact that he was plus one just kind of it tells me a lot, frankly. And I think a lot of that is just because he was able to play in those um, small ball minutes where he's the at the five and Bobby Portis and uh, Brooke Lopez are not on the court at all, which was basically right. the entire fourth quarter when they made that run. Right. Which I mean, the small ball is definitely a theme in this series, and we'll see how that that factors in. But like, if you're the Bucks, I would feel pretty optimistic about some of those numbers. That this game was fairly competitive. I mean, there was a twenty point margin at one point, but right. like twenty point margins are kind of whatever in today's NBA, to be honest. And we saw the Bucks make that run and cut it to single digits, and the game could have been theirs, frankly. And so for them to to do that um, with those. I don't want to call them mistakes, but with those possessions earlier where Brooke is switching out and just getting cooked over and over and over again by CP and by Devin Booker, like you clean some of that stuff up. Maybe you go smaller sooner and the game is a little bit more potentially tilting in your favor. Um, so I, I have a question for you now, kind of building off all of that, Chris, and building off the Giannis discussion. Like, do you think the Bucks can win this series if Giannis is not the best player in the series? Um, I think that they can win games in this series without Giannis being the best player in this series. It's a little bit difficult to think that they'd win the series without him being the best player in it. Um, it also becomes a little bit of an availability question too. You know, it, it's very easy for us to, you know, I think rightfully look at the last game and say, hmm, you know, the honest minutes with him at center allowed them to make that comeback and finally kind of make a push in that game and help them. You know, it, it helped them be less vulnerable to the switches that they were making and stuff like that. Um, it gives you a more nimble defender at the point of attack as opposed to having Brooke Lopez looking like he's like on the defensive end of an and one mixtape tour. Um, so it's helpful from that regard, but it's also really hard to do that for 48 minutes. It's hard to ask Giannis to play more minutes on a knee that, you know, we don't know exactly what percentage he's at. Um, so it's always difficult to ask someone not just to play more minutes, but to play more minutes at a more taxing position where you're running up and down the floor and being asked to do more than you would be doing if, if you were playing the three or the four. So, you know, they're, they're going to, I mean, this is always how it was going to be probably, you know, like I said, straight up, I feel like Phoenix is a maybe a, a more complete team anyway that has mm-hmm. more options offensively than Milwaukee has um, that forces Milwaukee into some uncomfortable decisions as far as the switching and everything else um, and maybe playing Giannis at the five. So my default is that Phoenix is kind of the better, more complete team here. Um, and anything beyond that that you could make to make, you know, Milwaukee equivalent to them is kind of forcing Milwaukee out of their comfort zone and in particular forcing Milwaukee's best player out of a comfort zone that is health related. So I, you know, I I could see it, but I kind of wonder how much of that Giannis has in the tank in a series where he's not 100%. Um, I I find it a little bit hard to believe that they can win the series while really, really extending the hell out of him. And it would make me uncomfortable if they had to do that, but it may take that. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what the what the counter and the response is and, and what his minutes look like in those roles in, in Game 2. His minutes are fascinating. He only played 35. He, I mean, he usually catches those 
breaks in the middle of quarters. Mm-hmm. First quarter, he cut them in every single game, except the fourth quarter in game one, where he basically played straight through. And I guess, again, if you're a Bucks fan, that should leave you some optimism that he was able to play such a long stint at the end of a game and look pretty good. You know, I don't know. Like, I think you need 40-plus minutes out of Giannis per game to beat this Phoenix Suns team. I mean, this it's a credit to the Suns. They're just... They're so built. Cam Johnson never misses any shots. Like, I don't, he just comes in the game every time. Like, have you, when's yeah. the last time you saw him miss a shot? It's unbelievable. And it's, um, and it's multiple guys that feel like that. Like, I mean, Aiton had long, I mean, Aiton literally has what more games, postseason games now where he shot 80% or better than like anybody in history. Like, they have so many guys on this team that legitimately don't miss. And it's not that they don't miss, but it's like they have so many games where, you look up and Chris Paul has nine assists and no turnovers or Cameron Payne has nine assists and no turnovers. It's like, what the hell? Do you guys make mistakes? Like, it's just crazy. It's insane. Yeah, the, the Suns do not beat themselves is they don't. the point. So you're going to have to take that title from them. And Giannis is going to have to play. He's the best player. Uh, he's two-time MVP, ostensibly the best player in this series. Chris Paul probably has something to say about that based on how he's played over the past couple of weeks. Um, I kind of also think, and maybe this is just me being a naive fool, but <laughs> I think that if Drew Holiday steps up offensively and is a little bit more consistent, like I think he can be the best player in this series in a situation where the Bucks win. And hmm. when you consider where and when he shot the ball in the context of how the defense was playing him in game one. I mean, that might have been the worst scoring performance of the entire playoffs from him, which is really saying something. Um, And like my, my notebook throughout this entire uh, playoffs is like filled with like, I write whenever, whenever the opponent makes a shot, they'll make an open three or whatever. um, And then drew holiday races down and just takes an absolutely ridiculous, like tries to respond immediately and catch the defense off guard. And he just takes such a bad shot, like a not intelligent look. Like just, it's usually contested. It's usually, it's like really weird how he forces these, but my, my notebook is just littered with bad Drew. And that just means like that's shorthand for me that he took one of those shots and in game one, I think he did it like four or five times. And the first one was like this, weird funky half spin turnaround iso fade away over jay crowder that just like clanked off the back rim it's like why why did you do that (laughs) why don't you just like settle i know that the phoenix suns are a really good half court defense but like settle settle down a little bit drew um so I, i feel like if he just makes smarter decisions and plays more in the rhythm of the offense and looks more like the guy who was in game five and game six of the conference finals where he was the best player I thought in those two games in just, I mean, he got downhill at will and he drew help whenever he wanted. And he was creating offense through like paint kickouts and just these like driving dumps to Brooke Lopez that were very successful and made Brooke Lopez look like uh Wilt Chamberlain. So like, I, I see a scenario where Drew is able to be that player, but then also I wonder how much of that player appeared because Giannis wasn't on the floor, and is there enough 
like we've seen before Drew have a lot of success, obviously, with Giannis on the court. But like, is that Drew possible with Giannis um, in the game is something I'm thinking about as the series kind of goes on. Yeah, I mean, I might as well get into this now. Um, I know you and I outlined this thing where you were going to ask me who was the most disappointing. I mean, we're talking enough about him now. I'll just say it. Drew was my pick, and Drew was now like I my number on, one, uh, yeah, number yeah, one, number yeah, two, yeah. and number three pick for the answer to that question, just because he was brutal. Um, I mean, so it's one thing that to shoot four for fourteen with a number of those shots just not being good shots. A couple of them being great shots. I mean, there was one play where I think he backed down Chris Paul and he, you know. Do that he, more. Do that more. If he had, like, cradled a baby afterwards, it would have been completely within his rights to do so <laughs> because it was just a beautiful play. I was watching the game at a bar with my best friend, and we both looked at that like, that's what he's capable of. So, like, why doesn't he do it more often? Um, but, again, 4 for 14 and it's always a bad look when you shoot for four for 14 and actually your defense is like the bigger problem than your offense, um, mm. which wasn't him, you know, being horrendous on ball. You're rarely going to see games where that's the case. You know, obviously Durant um, had his way with, with Holiday two series ago, but that, you know, that's just someone being nine inches tall or whatever he is. You know, that's not really him playing poor defense. This was just Drew, I think, too easily giving up switches realizing that they were in the context of a scheme where they were going to be switching and Bud gave them the green light to do that, saying that we need to play them that way because we don't want to give up too many mid-range looks. We can't drop against this team. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to get torched if we do that with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. So switching is fine, but you can't just do it without a fight. And, and Holiday is one of the, you know, the fightinest, you know, defenders in the league generally. But here... <laughs> That, you know, I, I looked at a stat. I think Dan Feldman from NBC Sports had it. I think um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker took 40 shots combined, I think. And um, Drew Holiday was only the primary defender on seven of them. Um, just because of how often they were seeding that switch to Brooke Lopez, who, again, as we said earlier, as I said earlier, was getting mixed up like an N one mixtape defender. So it's it's just not – you can't – shoot that poorly and be that poor on offense, that inconsistent on offense after what we saw at the end of the last series and that Drew Holiday. And granted, like you said, without Giannis, so it's a different look for the offense. You need more out of him. But how do you convince Budenholzer, how do you just convince Drew that we still need that same Drew Holiday? I get that the offense is a little bit different, that it runs differently, but we still need you to be just as aggressive and obviously we need you to be just as consistent in those situations as we do when Giannis is out there. Um, and obviously you cannot just give up, you know, you, you have to fight and make Chris Paul fight. And, you know, if need be, try to rescreen uh, to avoid having to bring Lopez into the action that early, that high up, because it's not going to end well. It just wasn't, it, I don't know if it's that the Bucks don't do it often enough um, to switch that much, but it's just, it, it didn't work well. And keep in mind too, the Suns were horrendous, from three, at least Booker and Crowder were. I think they were one for 13 from three. So, I mean, there's more potential for the Suns to do better than what they did last game, too. Um, as we look at the things that the Bucks can switch and tweak, um, the Suns can, you know, will probably be a little bit better over the course of the series than they were from three. So, I, Drew, it was just disappointing to watch because you know after what we saw at the end of the last series that he's capable of a lot more. And you know that he's going to have to be better in this series for the Bucks to have a, a fighting chance. 
Yeah, and I mean, you make a fantastic point about the defense. Like, Drew Holiday is one of the best, if not the best, on-ball pick-and-roll defenders in the league. Like, the way he's able to um, um, bother shooters from behind and recover over screens is what makes him so special, and it's one of the reasons why he's an all-defensive team. He should be on the all-defensive team every single season. Yep. So for you to switch, you're just taking away one of his great strengths. And I would, I mean, the, the whole point of like dropping is it's not like to give up a wide open pull up two from either Devin Booker or Chris Paul. Like, that's not the purpose of the drop. It's to give, like, assuming that Brooke Lopez isn't just standing in the restricted area, which he would not be, it's to give Drew Holiday a chance to recover, time to recover and get back in front of Chris Paul or whoever the ball handler is. Right. And so he's good and can do that, I think. And so, like that's what I would be executing if I was the Bucks. And I know I spent like a lot of this postseason criticizing them for not switching more and and like dropping with Brook Lopez in the net series. Yep. But like that's what you should be doing now. It really should. And you should just do that strategy better because you have the piece. That, this is like why you spent the whole regular season doing this, or a vast majority of it. And so why go away from it when you're in the NBA finals as dramatically as you did? I, I just I think that that was uh, that was questionable. And I think that they'll revert back to their strengths. One defensive play that Drew had um, in game one that made me just kind of like shake my head a little bit was, you know, he was providing ball pressure on Chris Paul full court sometimes. But he picked him up at half court on one play. I think it was in the third quarter. And Chris Paul just like no screen. Chris Paul just blew by him, drew help, kicked out to Devin Booker. Devin Booker hit a wide open three. And I was like, yep. okay, what is <laughs> how do you exactly like, these are the baskets you absolutely cannot give up in the NBA finals, particularly when you're such a good and such a talented and complete defender as Drew Holiday is. Like, I know that he's not I mean, I think he's thirty one years old. He's not necessarily in his athletic prime, but he should not be getting blown by by Chris Paul that far out on the floor. That just shouldn't yeah. ever happen. Yeah, no, it was just really disappointing. And, you know, to, to go full circle on something that we mentioned before about not making too much of, of single game plus minus, Giannis was the plus one in mm-hmm. that game. Uh, him and Jeff Teague, who played for nine minutes, were the only ones to be in the positive. Uh, well, no, I take that back. Connaughton was two. He was a plus two. But Holiday was a minus 16 in his minutes, and the only person that was worse than him was the other person that we're talking about in this drop switch coverage was Brooke, who was in minus 17. So it just mm-hmm. was a really poor showing. And I mean, you know, sometimes single game plus minus will just happen to capture the most problematic thing that you notice about a game. And I think this was a, a situation where it did that, where they've got to be better at the, the point of attack. They've got to be better at making use of, of Drew and, and kind of the rear view contests um, they've got to be better about figuring out what they're going to do with Brooke if they're going to play him as much as they did. Um, you know, about switching, dropping. Um, you know, it, it just has to be way better because I just, Phoenix was way too comfortable kind of in the in between um, spots because of what they were doing. And, you know, like you said, when you're putting Chris Paul in a position where he can blow past people, um, you know, it's one thing to talk about Chris Paul at 36. It's another thing to talk about Chris Paul at 36, like blowing by people. It's not supposed to happen. Exactly. And and if you look at some of the numbers from game one, just the shot charts, like Phoenix on long twos 
was seven for 20. So a lot is made about the mid range. Mm -hmm. Um, but seven for 20 on long twos, like that's not, that's not good at all. That's the going Um, rate. And it's funny because Phoenix knows that they can outshoot the average, the league averages by so much to where it's a good shot for them. You live with that if you're Milwaukee, 100%. but, but you live with it while not trying to give up everything else. And, uh, yeah, it just, that's why you can't afford to have Chris Paul in your living room the whole game, you know, as far as, um, you know, getting by people and just making folks look silly and getting lobs to everybody. It just, it can't work that way. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. So speaking of Chris Paul, just a wonderful segue by you, Chris, just clairvoyant right there. Yeah, pump that fist. You wrote a, a fantastic story about him today on SI.com. Everybody should go How check that out. How did you even have time to read this? This went up I read it right before, before we started, the podcast. I, st- I read it right before we started. That's what good I do. Good-ass teammate, man. Good-ass teammate. <laughs> um, but it was basically about how... Uh, which is something that I've and anyone who watches Chris Paul throughout his career but haven't been able to kind of put numbers to it. Like this guy doesn't coast through the first three quarters, but he doesn't look for his own shot necessarily through the first three quarters. He's a fantastic setup man, probably the best who's ever lived or at least the best of our lifetimes. And in the fourth quarter is when he really turns it on as a scorer. And we've seen that throughout the postseason um, dramatically. So, my question to you, Chris, is just like, what can the Bucks do to slow Chris Paul down? We've talked a lot about all these different defensive coverages with him and you know switching, dropping, etc. Generally speaking, 
is he just like is this a situation like the Clippers had with Luca in round one? It's just like we're just we don't have there's no coverage here that matters. It doesn't it, we can't even make life harder for this guy. He's just going to hit every single ridiculously difficult uh, contested mid range pull up. So why even bother? Or is there something that the Bucks can actually do? That's a hell of a framing to, to like. It's one thing to not be able to stop what twenty two year old Luca is he twenty one. Uh, who's you know six nine right. or whatever Luca is, and then to talk about six foot nothing Chris Paul who's thirty six and that. far from an athletic marvel at this point. Um, look, I mean, I, I think some of the things you probably handle the same way, where you can't keep giving them the same look. I think it's fine to switch a lot. You just can't do it as your main scheme. You know, thirty five times in a game against mm-hmm. them. Um, I think absolutely. We we hinted at this earlier. You need to have Brooke on the floor probably a lot less, even as you're switching those schemes up. Um, you need to plug Giannis in as your five. Um, so if and when you're switching, that Giannis is the guy that is picking him up, which think about that. Again, Chris Paul's six feet tall. Giannis is basically seven feet tall. So, you know, even if Chris gets a step on him, you, you live with that because Giannis will make a poster. It's weird to think of a defender making a poster as someone, but Giannis can do that. Um, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, there's that part of it. You do all those things, but again, you, you ask, you ask more of Drew to, to basically kind of, you know, deny the switch as best he can to just stay with Chris through screens. Um, if that means a rear view contest, so be it to do it without fouling. So be it. It's difficult, but you can do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things that you try to do differently, but I think you're doing a mix of those things to avoid Chris Paul getting comfortable. That was something that I, you know, when I talked to DeAndre Ayton yesterday, I guess I didn't talk with him, but when I interviewed him in the press conference yesterday, that um, he was talking about how Chris is kind of constantly in his ear to tell him about what different looks that he's seeing. And that plays into Chris Paul getting so comfortable in the fourth quarter is that he's been able to kind of, the same way a, a hitter gets to kind of pick up on a pitcher and what they want to do the third time through the lineup and their batting average gets better over the course of the game. The more they see a starting pitcher, Chris Paul is probably multiples of that, you know, as an offensive player in terms of knowing what the defense wants to take away mm-hmm. from him and the way they're playing him and telling Aiden, you know, which angle he wants him to set screens. So you can't give Chris Paul the luxury of just kind of defending him the same way with the same guy each time. PJ Tucker is very capable too of stepping in as a small ball five and, you know, picking Chris Paul up on the switch or Booker for that matter. So there are multiple faces they can throw at him and bodies. I think there are multiple looks that they can throw at him. Um, and I think they'd be well served to do it because uh, what they tried in game one is not going to get it done. Yeah. I mean, number one, you're right. Like you got to mix up the coverages as much as possible. Try to make him just make him think um, from possession to possession as opposed to, okay, I know Brooke Lopez is going to switch out of me and I know that, Aiton's going to slip here because I just told him to do it. So I'm going to hit Aiton and he's just going to dunk it at the rim. Um, you can't give up baskets like that in the finals. Um, you know, one of the things I wrote here before I read your piece, and you just mentioned it with regards to the screening angles and flipping screens and all that, like try to guide the ball a little bit more. Like I want to see them ice more pick and rolls. That's not something that the Milwaukee Bucks usually do. But just like get up and specifically when they're on the sideline, keep them on the sideline. Let the weak side defenders get a little bit more involved, pinch in a little bit more, get them active. I think that that matters. I don't think you can just let Chris Paul 
get rhythm, get downhill, and get into kind of his sweet spot in his pocket, and then he just picks you apart from there. So it's really on the ball handler as much as it is the screener's defender, I think, when you're defending the pick and rolls. And this is something that Patrick Beverly, before he, like, self-combusted and shoved CP in the back, like, this is something that he was doing a fantastic job of um, throughout that series, mostly on Devin Booker. But the way he would just like get up and guide the ball one way and not let Devin Booker go which way he wanted to on the pick and roll was that was absolutely critical and uh, would have been a humongous reason why the Clippers won if they did. So that was something I was going to say, but then you brought up that wonderful point about Aiton and like the conversations that he has with Paul. And it's just like what I said is so much easier said than done. Sure. Executing that is really tough because Aiton is a humongous person and he sets terrific screens and cp sets him up so well and they have just wonderful chemistry so the only other thing that i can think of is to really make 36 year old chris paul work on defense yeah that's a good point bring i know he's guarding pj tucker a lot or he was from the start i believe in game one like in the conference finals what the hawks did or what the bucks did against the hawks was when Lou Williams or Trey Young was on um, PJ Tucker, they would have him come up and set those flat screens for Giannis or for Chris Middleton, and those two would go to town on the weaker matchup. And I'm not—I mean, Chris Paul is such a better defender than Lou Williams or Trey Young, so it's a little tougher. But make it just make him work, man. Like it's like make him run around when he's on Bryn Forbes or Pat Connaughton have those guys run off screens like have him like beat him up a little bit coming across the middle like all these little things that you can do throughout a a 24 second possession I think they'll add up as the series goes along as great of shape as Chris Paul is that stuff matters I think um so that's the only other thing I can think of man like I don't know are you kind of on the same page there no 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 I think you raise a good point we forget about that a lot it's one of the first things that coaches will generally tell you when you've got um really when you've got anybody who's a really devastating offensive player the first thing they'll tell you and I remember you know when I covered the Knicks and um you talk to the Pacers about what they plan to do against Carmelo and they would always say we're just going to beat him up basically, but we're going to do that by running him through a ton of screens on defense. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so that, that is a good point. Not to mention that as we're talking about how laborious a process this will be for Giannis with his knee. Um, and, you know, the idea of maybe playing him at the five, you know, as a small ball five and all these other things and, you know, just how that puts him through the ringer. You'd be foolish not to do that when, I mean, it'll sound dirty, but like Chris Paul's not the most durable human or at least basketball player. You'd be silly not to try to really get physical with him where within the legal bounds, obviously. And even Booker. I mean, we we saw that last round with Booker where dude had his nose, you know, um, you know, he kind of looked like Mr. Potato Head a couple times in that (laughs) series. It's not to say, again, you're not trying to hurt them, but you don't want to make it easy for them physically. And that was the difference in this game. Uh, even when you looked at Giannis, I mean, there was one play where Giannis made a catch under the basket, and you just figured he'd go up and dunk. He had a couple plays where he's just remarkable, where thinking that he was still hurt a little bit, you figured he was going to struggle to really get a shot up, and he just dunked on people. And it was like two or three plays in a row where he did that in the first quarter. 
Um, but there was one play where they just kind of smothered him under the basket, and he I don't even think he got the ball off the rim. He just kind of lost it in the air. I think and, it was a um, turnover, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a turnover, and it's just like those are – you have to make everything difficult for guys like him. And it's funny because like we don't think of Chris Paul that way, but when you look at how many points he's really – um, responsible for between his points and his assists, certainly in the last round or two, um, you'd be foolish not to try to really make him work and not make it physically tough on him, if and where you can, um, because he's he's co- he's he's costing you a lot of points if you're the Bucks. So yeah, I mean that is a very overlooked sort of thing, but it's something that I would suggest too. And you're right, um, the guys that you're trying to hide him on, you can involve them more and. Certainly with Forbes, I mean, you you should want to set a lot of screens for him anyway. Yeah, so I, this kind of just popped into my head as you were talking. But do you think we see at any point um, Giannis as CP's primary defender? Mm. I I think it'll be more through switches that we see it, um, mm-hmm. where where he's you know he's filling in for Lopez and he's then stepping up when Chris Paul gets by Drew. I would love to see them try to just have Drew stick with him more through those screens before you get to that. Just because I, again, I'm, I don't know. I'm probably being too too motherly here, but I feel like at some point you have to save Giannis's body. And uh, you know, I know Chris Paul is not Russell Westbrook at this point in his career, which I'm sure Suns fans are saying, "Thank God." <laughs> but um, but uh, I mean, you know, it's it's not. Chris Paul's speed, but it's still difficult to guard someone that small and that nifty and, you know, having to have your head on a swivel with his screens that he's going to get and different stuff like that. It's not easy for Giannis to do that. He can, but you, you don't want to ask him to do that primarily. And and if you're going to, I don't see it happening much in game two. Maybe if they lose game two and you're really on the ropes for game three that you pull that out. Um but I, you know, just I'm still at the point where I'm kind of grateful that Giannis made it through Game One. Okay, there was one play in particular where I got really worried. It wasn't the the, the crazy block that he made. It wasn't any of the dunks or you know the, the oops that they threw for him or anything. There was a play where he was like in the middle of the paint, and I can't remember. Maybe it was Cam Johnson. Maybe it was someone else who was in the corner with a wide open three, and Giannis like sprinted. And it was one of the only times the whole game that I saw Giannis just take off on a. You know, in an entire sprint, even the the you know the block, the chase down that he had, he was not sprinting, which that might be the most remarkable thing about that play. Um, yeah, but, but there was, was one that play. The play. Was that the play where Jeff Van Gundy, like right after Jeff Van Gundy, pointed out that Giannis was limping? I think that was. It, it might have been. I I think it might have been a different play. There was because I think there was a play in the second quarter where they said Giannis was limping. Maybe I'd have to go back and look. Okay. Everything kind of. It's a blur for yep. me now after the second watch. But there was one play where he sprinted out to the corner and he he almost ran into the bench like he was sprinting so hard at the at the shot. He didn't get yep. the shot, didn't block it or anything. But it's always plays like those where you're like kind of a really quick burst where I just kind of feel like you're not prepared to do that. Um, whereas if you've got the ball and you're going to make a burst, like at least you know you're going to be in that position because you're the one making the decision. But he just kind of ran out at someone. And those sorts of plays are always – just make me kind of tense up a little bit because I don't want him to get hurt. But um, you want to you want to save his body if and where you can. And I feel like it's it's always taxing on a big tall guy like that to defend a, a, a small if you a ball handling small if you don't have to yet. So I I would expect them to at least wait until they're down two zero to do that 
but we'll see. It'd be interesting because I, I could see it happening in spots, and I think it probably should happen in spots. Yeah, I think it would be a fascinating matchup. And we yeah. talked a little bit about it earlier in the Nets series with Kyrie, where Giannis started, um, I forget which games or which possessions or whatever, but he was on Kyrie for a little bit. And I thought he did an okay job navigating screens on ball and really contesting from behind and He's in your head. I can't imagine he's not if you're a ball handler and you come off a screen and this dude is is fighting to to come up from behind you. Like I can't imagine that not. You hear the Jaws music in the way. background. You hear the <laughs> exactly. Jaws music in the background. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So uh, just a couple. We're almost through with today's show, but like Dario Saric, I, I, I got to mention. Yeah, um, one of the. Just such a bummer. I mean, he tears his ACL in game one of the finals. Uh, one of the cooler dudes in the entire league. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times. Uh, awesome personality. I was, this just stinks, obviously. Like, there's really nothing else to say about it. But like, from yeah. the, from the standpoint of, here's a basketball team that just lost a member of its rotation in the finals. Like, how, how big and significant is this, do you think? It's meaningful. I don't think it's massive yet, but again, um, it, it could be because you have this guy playing basically back up five minutes, which mm-hmm. we've spent half this podcast talking about minutes at the five and how the Bucks are going to potentially alter their rotation there to get away from the switching or if they do it to get away from Lopez doing the switching. So it could be really meaningful. Um, like who do you have that's able to attack that? Um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, Sharich was only playing a few minutes a game, um, you know, but he's been for the last couple rounds, at least a pretty reliable shooter when he's actually shot the ball. Um, so you can, I think you can fill that by committee, but it's not a nothing injury. You know, I, I, my first thought really was like, I just feel bad for him. Um, you know, I always think with the foreign guys that they've always got like a whole legion fans from you know an entire country uh probably but also that you know i imagine there are a lot of sixers fans that were rooting for him as someone you know kind of the one guy from the process so far that has kind of reached the stage uh it's cool for him um so it just sucks for him but i I do think it potentially has meaning in this series just because we we still are trying to wait to figure out what the bucks are going to do now with their center rotation and if they alter that and they go small um who do you throw in there? You know, if, if you're the Suns, do you try to, you know, throw Cam Johnson, you know, down there and, and, and make use of that? I mean, he's been a killer this whole series. We we're talking about how he's not missing any shots. So I don't know. I, it, it, it's, but it does feel meaningful to me. And I feel like I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's one game in particular where not having him there really hurts the Suns. Yeah, there's always a domino effect when someone in a rotation is removed from a rotation so suddenly. And I mean, I think about in that Clipper series, like one of the reasons why Boogie was playing was because Dario Saric was playing. And so mm-hmm. Dario Saric was beasting Terrence Mann repeatedly. And Tyloo was like, I'm, we can't do this anymore with these small lineups. And you get Boogie. And guess what happens in the last game? Boogie is atrocious and <laughs> the Clippers <laughs> lose. Right. So, yeah, Dario, everybody serves their purpose and their role. And I guess the the domino effect question is just like, okay, um, who is the backup five now? Are you giving those minutes to Frank Kaminsky, who came in in the second uh, quarter and yeah. was very, you know, he's vulnerable yeah. for obvious reasons. 
And are you giving it to Tory Craig? And is Tory mm-hmm. Craig just going to be um, a critical piece when the Bucks do go small and are switching? Wouldn't that be and, ironic, by the way, given Tory Craig's history and where he's been? Uh, that, 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 that cracks me up still between that, the Denver series, and, and now this potentially, which. This yeah. is yeah. This is a whole different conversation, but real quick, like I just don't, I don't get why you would want to give up Tory Craig. I never understood yeah. it. Me I just uh, he is ex- he's exactly like when you know if you're trying to win a title or you're trying to make a deep playoff run, these are guys who can be on the court, right? Can they not? Like he's not the greatest three point shooter. I understand that, but he hits them enough yep. when he's wide open. That was and my he thought. And I was rebounds. surprised. I was surprised the very minute they let him go. I mean, it was interesting. I mean, Denver in particular with Denver. I mean, they lost him and they lost uh, Jeremy Grant. And then it was mm-hmm. like you know, surprise, surprise. Denver's defense sucks to begin the season. You know, and so I, I think teams, particularly Milwaukee, we've kind of needled them so much the last few years. Bud's decision making. Um, you know, the offense kind of grinding to a halt at times where Giannis kind of freezes up and doesn't want to shoot. Eric Bledsoe, you know, don't ever look at a Reddit board and, and search Eric Bledsoe's name. Um, <laughs> there were so many things to kind of nitpick. And so you're looking for everybody to be able to shoot and everybody to be a knockdown shooter in those lineups. So I, I get it. But again, it's really hard to find players that don't have any flaws, really. Um, Tory Craig has one. But it's one that you can live with given the other stuff that he does. And quite frankly, there are games where he reminds you that like he can sometimes knock down those shots. And then he is a player, a role player, essentially with no flaws in those games. Um, so, I, you know, it, it was a little bit of a, a head scratcher. But it's it, Tory Crett revenge tour would be a hell of a thing. So uh, it's a witness, you know, if if the Suns in, end up winning this finals. And it ends up being that he has a big role because Sharj can't play. You know, that would be something. So did the result of game one alter anything about how you thought this series would go, your prediction, and you had Suns in five? Do you, are you waffling off that? I don't know why you would after the Suns won, but like, what did it impact anything about it, just how you view this series and this matchup? No, no, not really. I mean, I, I think going back to what I said at the very top with Giannis, I didn't expect him to play um, in the first game or two, maybe game two, but like, I didn't even really expect that. So, you know, he looked more ready to roll than I expected, obviously. Um, I think Milwaukee will play better. I think that they'll shake stuff up enough. Um, you know, it's interesting. Before this postseason, I wouldn't have gambled that. It, it feels like Middleton and, um, and Drew often have a lot of games where they're both bad. Um, and, and, you know, Middleton was was fine. Like, he basically shot 50%, but wasn't terribly, terribly efficient. Um but I, you know, I think that one of them or both of them will have like a breakout game or two in this series at least. If Giannis is there and he's producing at Giannis like levels, and those two play decently, I think that they'll they'll win at least a game in the series, if not two. Um, I think the bigger question, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, Giannis only took four shots in the second half. Like you said, he was gassed a little bit after having not played. Um, mm-hmm. there were moments where he looked a little bit tentative. I mean, I don't want to make too big a deal of that because there are also moments where he just exploded over people and, and dunked several times in the first quarter. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he is later in the series if he gets stronger from having, you know, gotten back in a rhythm, if it's taking a toll on his knee. It's hard to know that just yet, like what that means. But 
Um, no, I mean, I, I figured there'd be at least a game or two where, where Phoenix just looks better. I mean, Phoenix was at home, and so maybe that's to be somewhat expected. But it was a weird game, too, in the sense that Phoenix never felt like they were in, in dire straits here, um, even as the game got trimmed down to, what, seven in the last three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. It did never really feel like a true danger zone, but, you know, Milwaukee was never completely, completely out of the game either. So it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a brutal showing from Milwaukee. I mean, they went in with a very clear strategy that I would say, you know, backfired essentially to some extent with the way they utilized it. They should probably mix it up more in the next game. And um, so you go from there. But if Phoenix were to win the first two games of the series, even I'm not even sure I would back off my prediction or change it or say that I'm worried or anything like that. Um, I have a hard time believing Phoenix will just sweep if Giannis is able to play the whole series. But, you know, somewhere in that five or six range with Phoenix, I still feel pretty good about that. What about you? Yeah, I had Suns and six before the, before the series began. And, you know, I as I said many times, like an idiot, I thought that Giannis was not going to play <laughs> a second in this series. So... I texted someone right before game one started when I realized that Giannis was going to play. And then I saw him whenever he hit his first basket or made his first drive or something. I texted a friend of mine and was like, Bucks and six. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I, and I'm not I don't want to I don't want to um, go back on my sons and six. I feel like I've picked slash I know that I've picked against the Suns in every series and this goes back to a trouble this is a troubling trend for me personally where last year I picked against the Lakers in every single series so I can't go I can't go two straight years just picking against the champion and in every single matchup that would not be good for business I mean Vincent would definitely just come in and, and take my job (laughs) <laughs> it's funny you say that though because i picked the suns i it's funny i didn't do a big prediction pre-playoff prediction where i picked the whole thing the way vincent did mm-hmm. but i picked the suns in every series they've had so far including this one including the lakers one too so it's weird and you know i've been wondering for a couple rounds now like maybe they should just be favored to win the whole thing and i've kind of talked myself into that um i saw a stat the other day michael i think it was that um each of the last four finals, the first team to score in game one of the finals has gone on to lose. I think Milwaukee scored first. In this. I think Giannis was the first player in the series to score. What a stat. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting stat. Like, I don't put any faith in it. I don't care. Um, but, you know, it makes me feel better about the Suns in five or Suns in six pick. I guess, like I said, I picked Suns in six if Giannis was able to play and look somewhat healthy. I would pick Suns in six. So I, I feel better about that pick after Giannis scored first in the series. Yeah, so I'm going to stick with Suns and Six. I'm not going to back off of it. Um, I feel good about this team. I wrote a quick, before we, we get out of here, I wrote a quick thing for the site today about their starting five, which has played more minutes uh, during the regular season and more minutes during the postseason than any other five-man unit. And I'm obsessed with five-man unit data and continuity and all that. Mm-hmm. So that group was excellent in game one and they just they're so smart and they figure stuff out and they're so complimentary and so i look at that group and i'm like okay the bucks don't have dante DiVincenzo, and that's kind of the difference here in my opinion because just rotation players are very important especially when they're in their starting lineup um all right chris well that pretty much does it for today's show um you and i will be back uh, next week and Rohan and I will be back 
uh, on Monday. Uh, want to real quick before we, we bounce, just shout out the listeners and all the emails that they've sent in. They've all been so wonderful. Keep them coming, please, to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Uh, in the meantime, everybody stay safe. Everybody enjoy uh, game two of the NBA Finals. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s, dance away with hip hop beats, and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.